and the small grooves on its skin make it look a bit like a finger, he thinks, as he studies it for a moment before clasping the writhing end and impaling that on the hook as well. Then he casts it out onto the water. When half an hour later he hasn't had a single bite, he walks a few hundred yards upriver to the next fishing place. But there are no bites here, either. Feeling restless, he decides to hide his rod and go exploring up the valley instead. He stands a while above the rapids and stares down into the sparkling water, fascinated by how all its various movements always occur in one place, from the swelling current at the top, where the water looks as if it's flowing inside a membrane, to the roaring fall below the ledges, which almost seem to be plowed into the waiting mass of water below, there to create innumerable small eddies on the surface. The eddies are made up of water, he thinks. So why don't they flow away when the water flows away? He chucks a stick into the river above the rapids and follows it, running down faster and faster until it goes over the edge and disappears into the foam. When a little while later it comes gliding into the backwater, he's there ready to pick it up. He repeats this game a couple of times before he tires of it and continues his journey. He follows a path up the rough mountainside and halts, damp with sweat, at the summit to look out across the plain. The town he comes from, lying in shadow under the mountains on the other side, is hard to see with the bright light in his eyes. The thought that a stranger probably wouldn't have spotted it fills him with pride, for he knows, he sees. For a while he amuses himself, pointing out various houses and places to the stranger, who's just as amazed each time. Is that a house, you say? Who would have thought it? It looks just like part of the mountain. Then he turns and gazes down at the forest and the valley on the other side. Dark green and dense it lies, ringed by mountains as if in a crater. There are tales told about this forest, but now highlighted here and there by clearings, meadows, and small glittering lakes. It doesn't seem the least threatening, and without giving it a second thought, he carries on down the path. When he gets into the valley, he's struck by how silent it is. The air is quite stagnant between the trees, as if exhausted by the heat. The shade beneath the treetops is scaled by shafts of light, filled in places by small pockets of swarming insects, there's the scent of resin, dry pine needles, warm earth. The water in the stream he's following is greenish-black in the gloom beneath the great conifers, blue and sparkling where the sky opens up above it, shiny white and frothing in the terrace-like falls leading to the little lake in the middle of the valley. Full of adventure, he runs this way and that, and completely impervious to the approach of evening, moves ever deeper into the valley. He sees a wasp's nest under a branch. He sees a meadow filled with butterflies. He sees a dead cow in a ditch, and the disgusting stink that emerges when he finally manages to push a stick into its rotting belly almost makes him sick. He sees a dried snakeskin in some scree. He sees a cherry tree in full bloom. He sees a hare bound past him in the grass only a few yards away, and as the sun goes down, He's lying on his stomach in front of a huge anthill, studying the strange life going on there. 
He doesn't notice that the sun's rays are moving higher and higher up the mountainsides and that the valley around him is gradually filling with darkness. Nor does he register that the birds have stopped singing or that the constant hum of insects gradually decreases. He's watching the workers marching in long lines with their small loads of organic material on their backs, pine needles, pieces of leaf, blades of grass, or bits of dead insect they have come across on their journey, and the posted sentries that constantly go up to the lines of ants and sniff them like dogs, and occasionally raise themselves up and gesticulate with their forelegs, at which the alien ant, having perhaps believed that its identity was a well-kept secret in the throng, rushes off and disappears into the undergrowth. After a while, he takes a twig and pokes it gingerly into the anthill, curious to see the chaos this causes, the furious concentration of thin legs and chubby bodies as the ants come streaming up from all directions.